Thank you, Lord Prater. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a joy it's been to be in church with you folks all day long. I talked with my wife uh, this afternoon, and she said, how was it? And I said, it reminded me of home. I said, the service was much like our service uh, is every Sunday morning, the spirit, the singing. I don't get the sense that this church is just going through the religious motions and doing your religious duty. I get the sense that there's a true relationship and desire and passion for the Lord God. And may I say this? Um, some of you might know this if you've come from another church, but what's happening here isn't happening in every church all across our country. And that spirit and that passion and that desire for God and for His Word is not found everywhere. And uh, I was telling her a little bit about the time this morning, and I've, I've just been refreshed and encouraged and the opportunity to be with you. And as Pastor Prater mentioned this morning, we talked on biblical stewardship. For those that maybe were out I, uh, this morning, I am right now in the midst of an eight-week series on stewardship with our church. And uh, Pastor Prater knew of that and asked if I'd be willing to consider preaching three times. And so I'm bringing to you some of the same messages I've preached to our home church back in Newport Beach, California. And they've been a challenge to me and a challenge, I believe, to our church family. And in the efforts of full disclosure, I need to let you know, Pastor Prater, when I preach the message I'm preaching tonight... And I'll just give you a little, little spoiler alert. The question we're going to answer tonight is, are you generous? So it's a message on biblical generosity. When I preached that message to our church, I got the offering report the next day. It was the worst offering of the year. I preach on generosity, and God's people say, we're not giving anything. Isn't that how it goes? And, and I guess it's just the Lord reminded me, it's my work, and, and you can't, you can't uh, preach. So I hope that's not the case. Did we already take the offering? We should have already taken the offering tonight before I preach this message, and, uh, and I'm not sure how all that works out, but that is true. This morning, I was teasing a little bit about marriage and some jokes on marriage and child-rearing and things, and uh, my wife and I have been married 19 years. We have five children from age 16 down to age four, and one of the benefits and blessings of marriage is that when you get married, God expands your family. You not only get a wife, but then you get in-laws, and you get more family, right? And you get a mother-in-law and a father-in-law. That's a blessing, right? Some of you don't believe that, I guess. Anybody in this church, you go to church with your in-laws. You're here. In, a few of you, I know Jenny Lee didn't raise your hand. Your in-laws are right over here on the front row. And I had the privilege. I served for 15 years as the administrative pastor for my father-in-law. He was my pastor. So my mother-in-law, she, uh, she was also my pastor's wife, and for the last... Three years I was there, you might get the idea of why the Lord led me away, her office was right outside my door. And so when I walked out of my office, she was sitting right there watching everything that I did. And so I had the privilege to serve with my in-laws. I was in the same church, I was reached in that church with my in-laws for 27 years. My father-in-law has been the pastor of the same church 43 years now in Northern California. And I was there, I was saved as a nine-year-old boy, and we were there for 20, I was there for 27 years, my wife was there her whole life, not 27, is that true? Yeah, 27 years for me, my wife, her whole life. And, uh, and so I had the privilege of, of being with my in-laws. It reminds me of the story I heard of the guy that was walking along. And, uh, and he said, he's walking along and he ran into one of those lamps. You know the lamps I'm talking about that have the genies in them? And he ran into one of those lamps and he, he rubbed it and the genie came out. And he said, I'll give you anything you want, but whatever I give you, I have to give your mother-in-law twice as much. Twice of whatever I give you is going to go to your mother-in-law. So he thought for a moment, and he said, would you give me a million dollars and scare me half to death? And uh, so, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, 
but uh, I, heard, I heard about a guy that took his wife and his mother-in-law over to Israel. Have you, did you hear about this guy? Went over to Israel, do a Holy Land tour, and they were there visiting all the sites in Israel. And while there, unfortunately, his mother-in-law fell sick and, and passed away. And they were there at the funeral home. And the, and the funeral director said, now here's the deal. We can bury her here very cheaply in kind of a, you know, just a real basic situation, about $500. We can take care of it all here, or it's going to cost you about $10,000 to ship her body back to the States. And he thought, and and the wife really wanted the mother-in-law to be shipped back to the States so that she could visit uh, her mom's grave and things. But but she knew her husband was a cheapskate. Any of you wives, you might know that as well. And her husband, she said, I know that what's going to happen, he's not going to do it. And to her surprise, her husband said, you know what, sir? I'll pay the money. Let's get her back to the States. And, and the wife felt badly. She knew they didn't have that kind of extra money. And, and she said to her husband, I, I really would like that. I'd like to have a service and all of that burial there in the States. But we can't afford that, honey. It's okay. If we need to, if we need to just take care of it here, that's no problem. And, uh, and the funeral director said, you sure? You understand? He said, no, sir. I want to I pay that. He said, here's what you don't understand. He said, about 2,000 years ago, there was a guy that died here in this country. And three days later, he rose from the dead. I can't take any chances. <laughs> And so, I'm not sure about that, but uh, it's a blessing to serve the Lord with your family. Marriage is wonderful. Those of you who haven't met my family, you're going to think, I don't like my family, I don't like my kids, I don't like my in-laws. None of that is true. I have been blessed, but it is, it's fun to laugh every now and again, isn't it? And if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, where we were, both messages this morning to begin. During the morning service, we turn to two other spots. Tonight we'll do the same. We'll turn, turn to two other passages as we develop the message. But you see the question on the uh, screen, that will be the question that we answer tonight, biblically. This morning we answered two questions. The first question in the Sunday school hour, talk to me, we answered was, are you what? Are you rich? Because this passage says, charge them that are rich in this world. And I use the illustration about different ways we know that we're rich and, and uh, based on our, our standing in the world's economy. And, and I use the illustration, if, uh, if you pay to keep an animal alive that you have no intention of killing for food, that would be foreign to many in this world. And we, at lunch, we met one of the, uh, they might be here tonight, we met one of the couples. There they are right back there. And he came up to the table, he said, I'm one of the wealthiest men you know. I have six dogs. And so he pays to keep six animals alive. And so... Uh, I'm not sure how all that works, but, uh, but we talk about, are you rich? And then, at the end of chapter 17, we looked at it says, who giveth us? It's his, and he gives it to us. It's not ours. And we answer the question, who owns that? Now we move into the next verse in chapter 6, verse number 18. So let's just read 17 for sake of context. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, accept the label, acknowledge the side effects, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, that's adjust your heart, put your trust where it belongs, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So that is, that is the charge, but now Paul gets to Timothy, and he tells him, here's, that, that is, he's telling him, here's who you need to charge, with a few little caveats, a few little descriptors, but now he says, here's the charge. Here's what I want you to charge them. Would you read verse number 18 aloud with me this evening? Ready? Begin. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That is the charge. Timothy, 
Charge them that are rich in this world. What if, if we had to just summarize that verse? That what? That they be generous. That they be rich in good works. So that shows us it's not just generous with our money. Stewardship is about more than just our finances. Good works. Rich in our, we were, again, it might have been the same couple, but we, had, we talked to a few folks from the church at lunch, and, and I heard them talking about how they were making a meal to take to someone who had lost a loved one. What is that? That is being rich in good works. That's hearing of a need, somebody that's going through a difficult time, and there's the heart that says, I can take my time, I can take my talent, I can take my treasure, and I can use it to glorify God and be a blessing to others. He says, here's the charge, that you be rich in good works, ready to distribute. That's the idea of being liberal, being good at imparting, being good at giving, willing to communicate. That is inclined to impart free in giving. Some of you say, maybe my wife is willing to communicate. When I get home, she is. That's not what it's saying. That's not saying talking a lot. Willing to communicate means inclined to give, inclined to share, ready to distribute. Here's the charge. Paul, it, it, you're, there's, this is, these Christians haven't been saved for that long. This is the early church. I'm sorry, Timothy, I'm writing to you. Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. They've been blessed, but here they've been blessed for a reason. They've been blessed to be a blessing. Don't, and, and he says here, and then we see the results of being generous, verse number 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. When you do that, Jesus said it that way, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust dust corrupt, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what Paul's saying. Those that learn to be generous are sending rewards on ahead. Those that learn to be generous are those that are, they lay hold on eternal life. They've got a bigger picture of why we're down here. Why God gave us this. Why did God give us this freedom in America? Why did God give us, as Brother Tyler prayed this morning, we have no fear of, of, of government intervention in our worship service today. And there may come a day that that happens in America, but why did, God, why, were, why did God bless us? Why are we rich in this world in freedom and rich in, we have Bibles. I heard one person in the parking lot say, we've got so many Bibles, we, we, we leave ours in our seats to save our seats during the afternoon. That's not a bad thing, but what does that show? We're rich in so many things. We've got, we've got free copies of God's Word. We've got churches, multiple churches to choose to attend from. We've, we've been blessed materially. We've been blessed. Why? Charge them that are rich, that they be rich in good works. I didn't give them those things just for them to amass to themselves. I gave them to whom much is given, much shall be required. I gave them those things and, so that they would learn to be generous. So the question we are answering tonight is, are you generous? The problem is, as we saw at 945, just like everybody has a different definition of what is rich, we all have a different definition of what is generous. So if I ask the question, if it's subjective, if there's no biblical parameters to that definition, if we don't define that term, we can all say we're generous. And here's the thing. By nature, none of us believe we're rich, but we all believe we're generous. Nobody says, no, no, most of us don't believe we're rich, but nobody walks around saying, I know, I'm just, I'm the stingiest Scrooge you ever met. No, I'm, I'm generous, I'm pretty generous. I'm, 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 I can find somebody I'm more generous than. I'm more generous than that guy. I mean, every now and again, I do a good, good deed for my neighbor, and, and I sing in the choir, and 
I drop some, I'm generous. I, I do more than a lot of people I know. So that's okay if that's our standard, but is that the Bible's standard? Uh, again, we, rich is always the other guy, but generous is always us. Generous, yes, that's definitely me. None of us are rich, but all of us are generous. You might say, I, I gave $2 to the March of Dimes as I checked out at Walmart yesterday. I'm, I'm kind of generous. It's kind of like the class grade for PE. As long as you have a body, you're getting a passing grade. As long as we do some little good deed somewhere along the way, we convince ourselves that we're generous in, in our lives. And so while the definition of generosity can be somewhat open to interpretation, I do think tonight there are three biblical tangible measurements that will help us answer this question this morning. Sort of like a generosity acid test. Three things, and when you leave tonight, there will be three specific, I believe, biblical, tangible tests that you can run your actions through to, to answer this question, am I generous, biblically speaking, with what God has blessed me with? If you were to take the Bible's teachings on generosity, you would find a ton of examples and information, but you would see three themes pop up over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And so, I want to jump into these, this three-pronged generosity test, if you will, to answer the question biblically, are you generous? We started this morning, are you rich? Church, are we rich? Yes, in this world, yes or no? We answered, who owns that? Do we own it? Does he own it? It's all his. If that's the case, now here's the charge. Charge them that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Here's the first one. Number one, how do you know if you're generous? It's priority giving versus spontaneous giving. Priority versus spontaneous. What do I mean by that? Do we, is giving for us something that is planned and it's a priority in our lives? Or is it just when something really touches our heart. I'm not against spontaneous giving. You might be driving by and you see somebody that's broken down on the side of the road and you stop and help them change a tire and you give an hour of your time. That's being generous with your time. You didn't have to do that. And that's a spontaneous generosity. And that's good. And as Christians, the Holy Spirit should work in our hearts to be spontaneously generous uh, throughout each and every week at different times with people we come across with our time, with our talent, with a word of prayer. Let me stop and pray with you. And let me, let me invest in you. And let me give to you. And let me do this. And let me do that. Spontaneous generosity is good. But biblical generosity is always prioritized. Let me, let me give you a verse, Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, honor the Lord with thy substance, the stuff you have, and with the what, church? With the first fruits. What is that? Priority. With the first fruits of all thine increase, all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. We're not getting there much in the three messages I'm preaching today, but there are great rewards that God gives for generosity. There's great joy, great fulfillment, great significance, great eternal rewards that come from that. But he says here, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits. That's a biblical principle. God wants us to prioritize our generosity prioritize our giving. When do we meet? Which day of the week do we come to worship the Lord? We meet on the first day of the week. You look all through scripture, God always wanted our first and our best. What, what, did, he, what, did, he, what did he want in the, uh, when they would bring a sacrifice? They wanted the first fruits of the, of the, uh, the, the uh, crop. 
He wanted that, that the, 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 the first and the best, the lamb without spot or blemish. God doesn't want our leftovers. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pay this and I'll pay that and I'll send money there and I'll go on that vacation and I'll do that and we'll just see if there's anything left over. I'll, I'll kind of tip God at the end of the week or I'll tip God at the end of the month or I'll tip God. With, and we, that can go with finances. That can go with our time. Hey, if I, if, if I get enough time, I might come back to church on Sunday night, but I got a big project I'm working on. God doesn't want the leftovers of our lives. You know what, I'll, I'll live for myself, I'll sow my wild oats, teenagers might, I'll go out there and try this world and I'll do what I want and I'll, I'll have some fun and then I'll get serious about God maybe when I get married. Or maybe I'll get serious about God when I have children or maybe by the time I really get, and I, when I retire, that's when I'm going to give God everything. I'm going to give him, you know, so many hours every week when I finally get to that season of my life. God, and by the way, if you're retired, God wants you to, to prioritize him in your life, but God doesn't want us to wait until we're retired to do that. He wants our first fruits. He wants us to prioritize, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. All, this is the first and great commandment. God wants our first and our best. Is your giving prioritized? Here's, and you've heard this before, but some folks might say, to be honest, I just cannot afford to maybe tithe, let's say, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I can't afford to tithe. If you looked at my budget, you would understand I can't afford. If we understand biblical, if we have a biblical perspective, that's impossible. Because if you make $1,000 this week, biblically speaking, first fruits, if you, if you believe that you should tithe, then God would get the first 100. I know this, is, this isn't always the most popular preaching, but it's biblical. And, and you know what, then, so it might be true that you can't afford a second vehicle. It might be true you can't have direct TV. It might be true you can't have a cell phone. How would I make without a cell phone? I don't know. They did it for a couple thousand years before you and I got them. And I'm not saying you need to not have a cell phone. I have a cell phone. I plan to have one, hopefully, as long as I live. I, I get convulsions and, and withdrawals when I can't find my cell phone. But if we understand it biblically, there is never a time where we cannot afford to be prioritized in our generosity to God because it's, it's a priority. It's first fruits. It's the first and the best. And so then I have to decide, I may not be able to live in that house, the, the five-bedroom one. I might have to move to the four-bedroom. I might not be able to live in the three-bedroom house. We might have to live in the two-bedroom apartment for right now. There might be something on the back end that I have to change in my lifestyle. But if I am put God first, there's never a time that my generosity, it, I cannot afford my generosity to God, my faithfulness to God. Why? And he says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all thine increase. It's amazing how creative we can get and how we can justify, well, you know, I'll give off of that, but, but you know, this happened over here and I got this bonus. That's not my regular paycheck, so God probably doesn't need a part of that. All thine increase. If God has blessed you with a regular salary and then a commission, why would you only honor him with the regular salary? If God has blessed you with two incomes and, 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 and well, I'll, we'll bless him with the head of the home, but the others we got to put away for sale. What, with all thine increase. What that is, is number one, it's, it, we haven't answered the ownership issue. And it's a lack of faith. God, I trust you with my eternal soul, but I can't trust you with my weekly bills. I can trust you with my eternity, but you're not powerful enough to trust for this month's paycheck, this month's, this month's needs. 
I can trust you with that, but I can't trust you with this. Generosity, church, will not happen in our lives unless we make it a priority. If we wait until we think we are rich, we will never start because most rich people live in denial that we are rich and we never have quite enough. May I say this, no matter how rich or poor you feel right now, now is the time to be generous. No matter how rich or poor you feel right now, now is the time to be generous. I'll be generous after I get through this season of life, will you? I heard a story of two friends, Randy and John. Randy asked his friend, John, John, if you inherited a million dollars, would you give 10% of it away? I got a million dollars, I'd give more than 10% of it away, he said. John said, of course I would. Randy said, well, what if you had 100,000? Would you give 10% of it away? Absolutely. He asked once more, if you had $100, would you give 10% of it away? John looked at him with pain on his face and said, come on, Randy, you know I have $100. It's always, if, if I had that, then I'd be generous. But what about what God's placed in your hands today? Being generous and sacrificial too often is a someday thing for us. Be generous now. Teach your children generosity early. I know what some of you are thinking. You're you're thinking, if you knew the details of my financial situation, you would not advise me to be generous. You would advise me to get out of debt. You would advise me to pay off my student loans. You would advise me to get the kids braces. You would advise me to save all that I can. By the way, I might advise you to do all of those things if I looked at your finances, but not at the expense of being generous. Why? Because he paid you to come in here and get more money for the church? Absolutely not. Because I understand the biblical principles of generosity. I understand how God blesses generosity. I understand the joy that comes with generosity. I understand the eternal rewards that are awaiting those that learn the joy of giving. I understand all of those things. And I don't want you to live an unfulfilled, unhappy life because you never learned the joy of generous, sacrificial stewardship. Generosity is not dependent upon your finances. It is dependent upon your heart. So it's a mistake we make. Well, that, that one over there, those people sure better be generous. God's really blessed them. Look at the cars they drive. I, I, they really need to be generous. Pastor mentioned that need we have at the church. I sure hope so-and-so really takes part in that. No. Generosity isn't dependent upon our finances. It's dependent upon our hearts. When you make giving a priority, something happens inside of you, especially when it's financially challenging to do so. It's like we loosen our grip on a value system that says money is the key to to happiness in life. When we learn to be generous, we we, we loosen our grip on that mentality, and we find out that pleasing God and generosity, and the joy in giving. I've been young, and now I'm old, the psalmist said. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed baking bread. God will take care of you as you step out by faith and learn to live the generous life God wants you to live. When we we prioritize generosity, we reject that, that way of thinking, and we begin to tangibly say, my hope is not in riches, but in him who richly provides. I would suggest to you the easiest way to do this priority versus spontaneous is to make the first check you write each month you're giving to the Lord's work or each week and eternally impactful causes. If you, myself included, if I wait until the end of the month, it won't happen. I have five kids, most expensive time of my life. There are always things we can be spending money on or trying to pay off. But I'm thankful our church, just it looks like you guys do as well, has an online giving system. 
And my wife and I have decided to prioritize our generosity. Now, that's just the base amount, but we give, and I, I don't, I'm careful about this, but you're, you're not my church, so I can give this testimony. It's all right. But every, every Sunday morning when I wake up, the first emails I see are four receipts that show the, where we have scheduled every Sunday our tithe, 10% of our gross income, our missions giving, our stewardship offering, and our debt retirement offering. We have, I have four emails that show up every Sunday morning. We've prioritized those things. The first day, and you can pick any day you want to have them come out. I chose Sunday because for me, it's a biblical thing. I want to, I want to give it to the Lord on the first day of the week. Now, those in our church that give on Monday through Friday, I don't argue with them. Give whenever you want. But, but for me, I, I put it on Sunday because I want, on the first day of the week, I want to know that the first money that left our account on the first day of every week prioritized, God, I'm, it's, it's a tangible way that I can say, God, I'm giving you the first day. I'm giving you the first fruits. I'm giving you the first money that can come out of my account this week. And, and we have, for us, we have set it up that way. Now, we give over and above that at times as God lays on our hearts, but those basic things things in our tithes and offerings is prioritized through that system. Why? Because if we are we generous, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, are we generous? One of the ways we can know that if it's prioritized giving or just spontaneous. I'm not against spontaneous generosity. I'm not against you giving money to the volunteer firefighters or dropping money in the Salvation Army bucket or the best spontaneous generosity of all, buying some Girl Scout cookies for yourself and your pastor. I saw this meme online a couple of weeks ago, and uh, how many more boxes of Thin Mints do I have to eat before I start seeing results? That's false advertising there. They call them Thin Mints, and that's not how they work. I'm not against spontaneous generosity and supporting certain causes, but before we ever worry about spontaneous generosity, how's your prioritized generosity? Does God get the first of your week? Does he get the, the, the best of your strength? Does he get the first of your day? Does he get the first of your finances? Number two. Number two. Percentage versus sum. How do we know if we're generous? How do we answer that? If you really want to guard yourself against the side effects of wealth, don't measure your generosity in terms of dollars. Measure it in terms of percentages. And I'll get there. By the way, it's biblical. I didn't just come up with this arbitrary guideline for biblical generosity, okay? But let me explain why. For me, if I were to give a $1,000 gift today to Fellowship Baptist Church, that would be a, a, what I would say a generous gift. It would be something that would definitely affect our family's life for the next month or so, or maybe a couple of months, and maybe the same is true for you. A $1,000 gift would be somewhat of a sacrifice for our family to give on top of our regular giving on a one-time thing, just on a whim to do that. But someone like Bill Gates, if he were to drop $1,000 into an offering plate somewhere, do you think it would affect his heart at all? He wouldn't notice it. And so it's been said this way before, it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. For you and for me, it's not about, am I giving more than so-and-so? And, -so and I, Am I the biggest giver? It's about, God, in Deuteronomy it says, let each of them give as the Lord hath blessed him according as he is able. It's not about, did I give more than so-and-so? Or how much do I give there? Or who's the biggest giver? Or who's the smallest giver? It's about, God, here's what you've entrusted to my care. And more than my sum, more than my total of what I've given, how does that look? How much of what you've given me am I giving back percentage-wise? Because the more I give percentage-wise, the more of my... 
heart he has. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it's a great way to understand, am I generous? Because for some in here, a $100 gift would be unbelievably generous. And for others in here, a $10,000 gift would be just out of the abundance of what you have. And it may be, I don't know, I don't know the, the church family, but maybe there's somebody in here that $10,000 really wouldn't affect hardly anything at all. It's not about the sum, it's about the percentage. It's about how much we give. Would you turn with me? I, by the way, we should measure in our giving percentage, not sum. I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. Mark, in chapter number 12, would you turn over there? Notice how Jesus measured generosity. He measured it in percentage, not sum. Mark, in chapter number 12. You're listening well. Mark, in chapter number 12. Beginning in verse number 41. Jesus is there with his disciples. Mark 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury where people would come to drop off. And back in those days, you could watch people come and bring their money to the temple and drop it off. Wouldn't that be, you know, everybody just stands there and watches as you walk by. How much did he give today? And how much did she give today? And, how, and he sat over by the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were what church? Many that were... Rich, cast in what? That sounds pretty good. I don't know about you, Brother Prater. I wouldn't mind that at my church if many that were rich cast in much. I'm pretty sure I'd be commending them. Let's see what Jesus did. Verse 42. And there came a certain what church? Poor widow. And she threw in what? Two? Literally like a penny. A couple of pennies. That's not going to do a whole lot to keep these lights on. That's not going to do a whole lot for this mortgage payment. That's not going to do a whole lot for our missions program here. I don't know about you, but in my thinking, my human thinking, I'm going with the rich that cast in much. I mean, praise God, bless her heart, as they say in the South, right? Bless her heart that she threw in her two mites, but that's not going to go, that's not going to go very far. Let's see what Jesus thought. And he called unto him his disciples. Hey, guys, 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 I got, I got to tell you something. I want you to see what just happened. He saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, truly, that this poor widow hath cast what church? More in than what? All they which have cast into the treasury. Why? For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Wow. Wow. Her two pennies, I don't know how much a lot of rich people casting in a lot of money is, but it sounds like a lot to me. The rich people cast in much. Hey guys, I want you to understand, in my economy, that lady put in more than all of them put together. Because it's about the heart. It's about the spirit of generosity. It's about the percentage, not the sum. They cast in much, she cast, she, she cast in more than all of them. Why? Because she gave all that she had. She gave, she gave 100%, everything. And that gift right there, that sacrifice, that offering is worth far more to me, Jesus said, than all those rich people casting in of their abundance. Something that didn't hurt, something that didn't really affect them, something that didn't cause them to think about and really invest. It's just, oh, I got, I've got, I've got 100,000 bucks. What's 5,000? Yeah, go ahead. You can have 5,000. I still got 95 for myself. And he said that, and I don't know what the numbers were, but it said rich people cast in much. 
And he said that right there, percentage versus some. I mentioned, Pastor mentioned I was in Cuba a week ago for a few days, and I was talking with a pastor there, and I told you that many of the people there make about 100 U.S. dollars per month. He told me that some of the retired senior citizens, they make about $10 per month. And this one pastor I was with, he's really trying to teach and implement worldwide missions to the churches in Cuba. They have been the mission field in the past, so they don't have it in their minds that they should be sending missionaries to other nations. That's a, a foreign concept to many of them. And he's really, he has, he's a pretty influential pastor and doing a great job there. And he said, in, in my church, they've sent from their church about a dozen or so missionaries to other countries. He said, in my church, there are some sweet widow ladies and some sweet senior citizens they make $10 per month, and every week they give a dollar to worldwide missions. That's 40% of their income to worldwide missions. I gave manifold, multiplied times more than that to worldwide missions today, what they would give in a month. But you know who God is more pleased, whose offering God is more pleased with, I believe? Theirs than mine. Our family, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to boast some use illustration. We gave probably, uh, I'd have to look at our, our missions giving, but it's the second largest thing that we give to. We have a, uh, our family loves missions. We gave, I don't know what it would be, but it's a lot. It's, not, it's, not, it's more than 10 times that. It's more than 20 times that. We gave way more than they did by some, but we didn't give 40% of our income. I don't give 10% of my income every week to that. You know who God is more pleased with, I believe, according to this? It's the percentage, not the sum. Jesus is teaching the percentage is more important than the sum. Okay, so what percentage should it be? I recommend the tithe as the starting point. A tithe is the Bible word for 10% of your gross increase. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. The Bible says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. This is one of the only times that God basically says, Try me, test me in the area of generosity, because he understands it's hard for us to let go of what we have. He says, try me, bring your tithes, bring 10% of your gross income into my house and give it to me. And may I say, if there are any here that that is not your regular habit to tithe off of 10% of your gross income, I would challenge you, not for the sake of the church, for the sake of you and your spiritual lives, I would challenge you to try God. To test him in that area. You say, I cannot afford that right now. I would suggest to you, you cannot afford not to. Try, for, try it for a couple, maybe make a commitment, two or three months I'm going to try this and see if God will not open the windows of heaven and pour some blessings out. I'm not saying prosperity gospel. Give $10, you're going to find 100 in the parking lot. God will give you blessings way beyond that in ways. Joy, every soul that gets saved, you're going to rejoice a little more. Every person that comes in on the bus route, you're going to look and say, I had a part in bringing that kid to church. Every missionary letter that you read, you're going to say, wow, somebody got saved over in, in South America, over in Asia. I had a part in that. There are blessings that come with that generosity. And I believe a great place to start is that 10% uh, percentage. That's a starting point. By the way, and I won't spend too much time on this. It's another message for another time. But there are some that would like to teach and say, well, the tithe is Old Testament. The tithe is under the law. And, and, if, and, and there's some things, I would say a couple of things without going into a full message on it. Number one, the tithe was instituted before the law. We find the tithe before we find the law. Number two, we find there was no place in the New Testament that, that, that tells us not to continue tithing. And in fact, Jesus commended the tithe in the New Testament. 
And here's the last thing that I would say. I wouldn't even argue with you that much if you don't believe in the tithe. I would say, great. So you're giving much more than 10%, right? Because here's the thing. Under grace, we always do more than we do under the law. You know, most of the people I've talked to that want to argue about if the tithe is still in effect today, they're not saying, because I want to do so much more, they're trying to justify their stinginess. They're trying to justify their selfishness. Well, I mean, it's just between me and God, and you know, right now in this season of our lives, and we can do this. It's, I'm under grace, and, and we're not under the law anymore. And if that's, if that's where you feel, I'm not even going to argue with you. I'm going to say, God's word clearly teaches we never do less under grace than we would do under the law because we're doing it because we want to, not because we have to. And so I would challenge you in this area, uh, I would agree, whether, whatever you believe, that 10% is not the ending point of any of our generosity, but I believe it, could, it should definitely be the starting point. And then my last thought, and you've listened well, and, and here it is, and these two points are where I said this morning, I believe if you would grasp a hold of this, it could change your stewardship for decades and could change your eternal rewards for eternity, that one about percentage versus sum. If you're not tithing, I would challenge you to prove God. I believe it could change your stewardship and your, your rela- spiritual relationship with God for decades and eternal rewards. And then this one, for those that maybe are tithing, this is the one I, practical application, I believe, could change your family for decades and for eternal rewards. Number three, progressive versus stagnant. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verses 5 through 8 says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. He's talking about material goods. Would you, would you read that along with me there? Uh, but this I say, would you read um, uh, aloud until the word bountifully? But this until the end of that screen there. Would you read that aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. We're not, we're not sad givers or of necessity. We're not mad givers. For God loveth the cheerful giver. We're glad givers. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. As we learn to be generous givers, God makes all grace abound toward us, that we always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Last place we'll turn, and I'll wrap it up here in a few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Would you turn here? 2 Corinthians, I, I referred to this this morning, this passage. Last place we'll turn. Please, I want you to see it in God's word. And I'll try to bring this thing in for landing in the next few minutes here. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Beginning in verse number one. Progressive versus stagnant. What do I mean by that? Grow in your giving. Some of you, maybe, you've become obedient in the area of the tithe, and you've been there for decades. God's plan, there is no area of our lives that God wants us to stay stagnant. There's no area of our spiritual lives that God wants us, he just said it here. He that sows sparingly, he that sows bountifully, abundantly, growing in that area. I want you to see what Paul had to say to this Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That's where the church at Philippi was. How that in a great trial of affliction. So they were going through some hard times. This goes back to don't give when all the circumstances are right. That's not the only time to be generous. In a great trial of their affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep, what is that word, church? Their deep what? Poverty. That doesn't sound like the right time to be giving. 
It abounded unto the riches of their what church? Liberality, generosity. For to their, to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. What they were able to give, and even more than really they probably should have given, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. That goes back to this morning. I forget who it was that said it, but, but when I give myself to the Lord first, everything else follows. When God has ownership of my heart and my life, I don't have a problem giving him some of my stuff. Because it's not mine, it's his. They gave first their own selves unto the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Here's what I want you to see. Verse number seven, the next two verses. I'm sorry, the next to this last verse. Therefore, therefore, because of the example of this church that gave when they really shouldn't have, gave more than they should have, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in what church? In faith. In what church? And utterance. And what church? And knowledge. And in all what church? Diligence. And in your what church? Love to us. See that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. None of us would think it strange that we would say, oh, man, I really want to grow in my faith, my trust in God when I don't understand. I want to trust him more. Don't we write songs about that? Oh, to trust him more. I want to trust him more in utterance. I want to speak for him more. I want to share his word more. Nobody would say, well, you've been doing that for decades. You're doing fine. No, grow in that. We got, we got to speak more of Christ. We would all agree with that. Uh, in, in love more, your love to us, in knowledge, I need to grow in my understanding of God's word, in all diligence. You know, I, Pastor, I really want, as I'm growing in, in the Christian life, I really want to be able to give, do more for God. I want to serve more. We would all praise that, and we would see that as a worthy goal. Am I right? But when was the last time we challenged ourselves to give more? To grow in this grace also. When was the last time, percentage-wise, you're giving took any kind of an increase. I didn't write that. You, you don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul. That's not me. That's Paul. That's Paul. Paul. You got to take that up with Paul and really got to go beyond that. Take that up with the Holy Spirit who gave that to Paul. When was the last time? And I, I fear, if we're not careful, we view this as just kind of this thing we have to do. Okay, I give in the offering plate, or I give this amount. I give whatever I can afford in my budget. Maybe I don't. I, I believe in the tithe, so I give 10% but we've been there for years. Or maybe you give 15% or 20%. Wherever it is, I don't care where it is. Wherever it is, my, my challenge to you is, don't stay there. Grow in this grace also, just as hopefully we grow in our knowledge of God's word, and just hopefully as we grow in our, our walking in the spirit, and we, our, we grow in having less anger and more temperance, and we grow in having less, uh, less being, being less unkind and more kind, just as we're trying to grow in all those areas, are we trying to grow in our generosity? progressive versus stagnant are we trying to grow in those areas if you really want to prevent the side effects of wealth don't overlook this to be progressive means you raise the percentage over time as your income grows you bump it up by faith on a regular basis it's interesting we don't mind praising and giving testimonies of people who labor sacrificially for the lord of prayer warriors we don't we don't mind thanking those that served here but we have a hard time uh, really kind of giving a gracious way to, to, to praise those that have learned the joy of giving generously. One pastor friend of mine gives about 75% of his income back to the Lord's work every year. 
That's not my testimony. I would love to see it get there. I say this not to boast, but just to give you a personal illustration, as I would in other areas of my Christian life. My wife and I have sought to give progressively um, on a yearly basis in our 19 years of marriage. Now, we had a little bit of a head start. We were both, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, but I got saved at the age of nine. My, mom, my, my single mom and I got into that church at age nine. My wife grew up in a pastor's home. Tithing was never a difficult thing for us. We were taught that very early. And and from the time we had high school jobs, we were both giving more than 10% of our income. That's never been a problem. But you know what? We could still be at that same spot, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15% of our income. But every year, a lot of times it's around missions conference. We try to increase. And, and we're going through a capital campaign for some building programs. And, and we've made the most, most sacrificial commitment in our 19-year history to our church. Just last week we made that commitment. And why? Because I don't just want to preach it. I want to live it. I don't just want to tell you that God will bless you for this. I want to experience those blessings. And, and in our, a, couple year, a couple weeks ago, we received our year-end giving statement from our church. As I mentioned earlier, you can imagine we're living at the, the most expensive time of our lives. We have five kids. Four of them are in school. I pay four Christian school payments. Four of them are in sports, and that's not cheap if you have children in sports. Three of them are teenagers. Two of those boys are eating us out of house and home. My daughter just got her driver's license. I'm not sure if you've looked into car insurance for teenage drivers. I got an email quote from my insurance guy. I had two options. My wife and I could go on a family vacation to Europe, or we could insure my daughter to drive our 12-year-old minivan for a year. We chose Europe. We, we, we have two growth spurts happening right now that are making clothing obsolete before we can get the clothes out of the dryer. We have Costco trips that equal the GDP of some small nations. So we're living at the most expensive season of our lives. And just to be completely transparent, I, I did not receive a pay increase last year. Our church takes very good care of us. But in the three and a half years I've been there, I've received one pay increase. They offered one last year, and I, I turned it down. I wanted to do some things for our staff, and the budget was pretty tight. So I declined it. The church was taking good care of us. But my expenses have never been higher in my 40 years of life, 19 years of marriage, and my income has been stable for the last two or three years. But I rejoiced as I received our year-end giving statement. And my wife and I looked at it. And sum and percentage, it was the largest, 2018 was the largest year of giving through our local church in the history of our marriage. I don't say that to boast. The Lord knows my heart. I understand the Bible. If I'm doing that for your approval, the Bible says I've received my reward already. I understand that. I also believe the Bible says that we should provoke one another to good works. And so I share that. I believe my motives are right. I share that with a heart to provoke one another to good works. May I say this? My giving is manifold percentages more than my savings at this point in my life. That may not be wise. I met a man that's a financial advisor here. And if he were to look, he might say, you need to be saving more for your future. And maybe I do. But I just believe that God has put these things in our heart. And may I say this to you. While, while things are a little tight in our family at times. And while we, we can't do everything that we want to do. I don't regret a single dime that we've given to help others or to glorify God. May I say this, we have more clothes than we need. There's no one in our family of seven that missed a meal because they had to in 2018. We've been blessed abundantly with relationships and opportunities, and we've been able to see God do amazing things through our church, and I don't regret a single dime that our family committed to give last year. Why? Because the Bible says and, 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 as, as we give, God will bless us. 
in our lives. God blesses generosity. Proverbs 11 says, There is that scattereth yet and yet increaseth. He gives and yet somehow he, his, 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 his blessings grow. There is that withholdeth more than his meat. He keeps more than he should, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. There's a blessing that comes when we learn the joy of generosity. The skeptic again might say, you're just trying to get more money. No. I've heard of Christians who've lived off of 50% and given 50% away. I'm not there. Maybe you've heard of R.G. Letourneau. I believe we have a picture of him. R.G. gave 90% of his income back to God and lived on 10%. Letourneau was one of the more unlikely leaders of 20th century industry. From humble beginnings and a 7th grade education, he taught himself engineering and eventually built a manufacturing empire. His earth-moving machines helped win World War II and construct the highway infrastructure of modern America. By the end of his life, he held more than 300 patents. The decision to give away 90% of his personal income and stock in the company was the result of a previous decision made when he was 30 years old and deeply in debt. When he was 30 and deeply in debt, he decided to make God his business partner. Chastised by his missionary sister to get serious about serving God, Letourneau was confused. Like most people, he believed that sincere dedication to God required that he become a preacher, an evangelist, or a missionary. He attended a revival meeting at church and gave in. Thinking he was headed to the mission field, he sought guidance from his pastor. After praying together, his pastor said, You know, Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. Letourneau responded, All right, if that's what God wants me to be, I'll try to be his businessman. Letourneau took his business partnership with God seriously, although he felt like God was getting, as he said it, a sorry specimen as a partner. When financial success came years later, he believed this made him a debtor to God as well as his fellow man. His commitment to give away so much of his wealth was not a flash of generosity as much as a logical pro pro progression from his earlier decision to make God his business partner. When people understand that their work matters to God and recognize that he is their business partner, Letourneau's perspective is a natural response. The question is not how much of my money will I give to God, but rather how much of God's money will I keep. For myself. You don't need to give 90% of your income to, to God to please him, but I would challenge you to progress in your giving. Don't stay stagnant in that grace, but grow in grace. Don't stay stagnant there. Just as I would challenge you to progress in your prayer life and your understanding of the Bible and your service to your fellow man, I love the fact in our church last year we assembled more copies of Scripture than we ever have. We supported more missionaries than we ever have. We reached more people on the bus routes than we ever have. Our Christian school is larger than it's ever been. We started more public school Bible clubs than we ever have. I'm thankful. Why? Because that shows a church family that says we don't want to stay where we're at. We don't want to stay stagnant in these graces, not just in money, in our service, in our prayer, in our giving, in our witness. We want to go more and grow in grace. So, there's the question. Are you generous? If it's just an arbitrary question, we all get to decide what that means. But biblically, I believe I've showed you from the Bible three tests to answer. Priority versus spontaneous. Is your giving prioritized? Percentage versus sum. And progressive versus stagnant. 
I received a missions letter from our missionary, one of our missionaries in the Philippines, Rick Martin. I visited this missions work in the Philippines. And in this letter, and here's where I close, I saw what true generosity is. This is from Becky Martin, his wife's Facebook page. And they're going to scroll through some photos as I read this to show you as, that she shared. She said, it's time for our Help the Needy project that we have every Christmas. Our Bible college students, church members, and staff give up their Christmas to, well, help the needy. Our folks go all over the place, jails, widows, orphans, handicapped, bedridden, fire victims, and the poorest people giving out gifts and love. They go to the wards for the underprivileged in area hospitals and pass out tracts, Johns and Romans, sing Christmas carols, and witness to people so they can get saved, the best Christmas gift. Young men in our Bible college repair broken down shacks the indigent call home. Many donate clothes to bring the fire to the fire victims who've lost everything. This may not sound like a big deal, but most of these kids only have one or two outfits themselves. Our people go to the prison and sing Christmas carols to the inmates, preach the gospel and pray for them. They have feeding programs for needy children. We have a Christmas party for the children who have no home but live on the streets of Iloilo City. We minister to the widows and the elderly, the deaf, the blind, the mentally slow. Precious church members give up a lot to conduct medical missions. These forgotten people cry when our folks show up at their homes caroling and bearing gifts. Our wonderful church members deliver food baskets to our fire and police departments as well as our veterans. They visit the disabled, heartbroken, and the lonely. They pray with them, and they become the hands and hearts of Jesus. By the way, I want you to see the joy on those that are receiving as you look at these pictures, and I want you to see the joy on the faces of those that are giving. Many of our Bible students fast because it's the only way they can give to go without eating themselves. By the way, I've been there and met these Bible college students. They eat for, for their many meals. It's a bowl of rice. And they fast so that they have money to give to others. That's biblical generosity. They sacrificially give to buy food to give to impoverished widows and women who have been abandoned by their husbands. Instead of going home for Christmas, our Bible students go to the leper's hospital and sing carols, bring food, and mostly bring joy. They have Christmas parties for children in the slums. They do these things every day over Christmas break with little thought for themselves. They work overtime to earn money just so they can give. They have done this every Christmas for many years. I am so touched and humbled by their selflessness. The girls clean houses and do laundry by hand, of course, for people in the destitute areas and have games and candy for their children. These Bible students and church members who many times are as poor, if not poorer, than the people they help amaze my husband and me with their generous spirit. Like me, they will miss their families at Christmas time, but I know Jesus smiles when he sees them spending themselves for the least of these. Our staff kids, listen to this, our staff kids have a Christmas party for children who lost everything they own to a fire. They donate books, toys, and clothes, even though they have precious few themselves. Instead of the staff kids getting a gift, they give. Our devoted people are involved in having a Christmas party for the street kids. Doctors donate medicine and give kids free checkups. Friends donate a meal and gifts. Last year, there were over 200 street kids and eight doctors. Most importantly, we tell them how to trust Jesus as Savior. On Christmas Sunday, I give kids and adults on my routes a toothbrush, toothpaste, Soap, washcloth, comb, and shampoo. Can you imagine an American child sitting by the tree unwrapping a gift and finding a toothbrush, brush, toothpaste, soap, and a washcloth? Yet they will be thrilled. I give a kilo, which is two pounds of rice, to every adult on my route that comes that morning. Can you imagine an American on Christmas morning opening a gift and finding a little bag of rice? It's heartbreaking to see these suffering little children. Absolutely no Christmas for them because their dads sometime, and sometimes moms are drunk. 
No gift, even worse, no food, because the money is spent on liquor and drugs. It's pathetic. I lay in bed at night and cry, thinking about their sad lives. I want so much to give them a little joy. Forgive me for bragging. I'm proud of our church people who so generously give their time and money to help Jesus. Jesus, you ask? Yes. If we do it for the least of these, we do it for him. These ministries go on all year long, but Christmas is big here at our church. It's a special time to love the unlovely and thus to love Jesus. We should all ask ourselves, when was the last time we gave food to someone who was hungry? I don't mean our friends or family. I mean someone who can't feed themselves, someone who can't repay us. The homeless, for example, or how about clothes for the poor, or medicine for the sick, or at least visit them like the Bible says. That, my friends, is Bible generosity. Giving out of their poverty to be a blessing to someone else. I don't share that or anything here to make you feel guilty. I share it to challenge us to go back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. And what did Paul say? Charge them that are rich in this world, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I believe this is a generous church. In fact, without knowing what I was preaching, Brother Tyler told me yesterday, he said, we don't really have wealthy people in our church, we just have an unbelievably generous church family. But if this church is is like any other church in America, we could do more, can't we? We can grow in that grace also, can't we? If you're anything like this, Pastor, you're not as generous as you should be often. Are you rich? Yes. Who owns that? Him. Are you generous? How are you doing in being rich in good works? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.